This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. As a result of our sin, God's judgment is going to fall, and China is going to invade. Uh, Chinese forces are just going to overwhelm our land, and before you know it, you're going to find that there are Chinese officials who are in the capital, they're running things, uh, they're going to be coming to your town, and they're going to be trying to, to conquer and to take you into captivity. But you are not to resist them. You are to surrender and go willingly with them into captivity. Now, how do you think that your, uh, your friends and your neighbors would respond to that message? Probably about the same way that your faces tell me that you would respond to it if that's what I were to tell you tonight. That is really the feeling of what Jeremiah was called to tell to the people of Judah. He said, Babylon's coming, and you have to submit to that, and don't fight that. It's God's will. And for that reason, Jeremiah lived a lonely life. It was full of hardship, full of rejection, and yet as Jeremiah stood faithful to God in the midst of a nation that seemed to care nothing for the Lord, even though they owed everything to him, he didn't become calloused or jaded. I think many of us would be tempted in that, in that position. We're preaching this message and we face rejection again and again. We start to become callous towards the people that we're preaching to. But that didn't happen with Jeremiah. When all of his prophecies came true, the judgment he had promised fell on the people of Judah, Jeremiah wrote a book. And it was a book full of lamentations. And we know the book of Lamentations by Jeremiah. It's full of him sitting down and weeping over what has happened to his nation, what has happened to this city that rejected his message. He's weeping over those who have died who mocked him during his life, who rejected his message, but now he's weeping over what's happening to happen to them. And so, through all of that, Jeremiah remained bold, but he also kept a soft heart. That, to me, is really a miracle to think about. Through all of those trials, continuing to preach boldly, but still having that compassionate heart. And I fear that we, in the midst of a, our crooked and perverse nation, uh, fail often to walk that same road. Some of us are bold, but we can too easily fall into the ditch on one side of that road where we're full of belligerence and hatred. Um, we get the I'm better than you or you deserve what you're getting kind of an attitude. And we're willing to speak the truth boldly, but also we're quick to spew hatred and bitterness at those who reject the truth. It's all too easy for us to be like Jonah. He grew hard-hearted about what was going to happen to the people in Nineveh. He wanted judgment to fall on them. And we can get that same kind of an attitude. But lest you quickly say, those people are wrong, I think many of us can tend to fall in the ditch on the other side of the road, where we maintain a compassionate heart. We care about others. Uh, we retain our compassion. We seek to empathize with even those that we disagree with. Uh, we're ready to extend the benefit of the doubt. We're ready to weep over the downfall of the wicked, but we have no boldness. And no one hears us speaking up for God. If we're a proclaimer of God's truth at all, often we're certainly not bold at all in our witness. This is a hard, a hard balance to strike. Not getting that hard-heartedness on the one side, but not losing our message on the other side. I dare say that each one of us finds ourselves in one or the other of those ditches tonight on, that, on the sides of that road, or we're dangerously close to the edge. You might be bold, but lack compassion, or you might be compassionate, but you lack boldness. 
John 1.14 tells us that when God became flesh and dwelt among us, that he was full of grace and truth. Jesus was full of grace and truth. He had that compassion, but he also had the boldness. And I dare say that we would have a hard time finding any better biblical example of someone who had that same balance in themselves than the prophet Jeremiah. So, as we go through this book, I think you'll find, uh, find that to be very true and find that there are a lot of really personal lessons we can learn from this man. Uh, if you would, go ahead and take a look at the notebook. Um, let's take a look at that syllabus together. And don't let the word syllabus scare you, okay? I'm going to use some, some terminology just because it, it helps me feel powerful to use terminology like I'm, an, I'm a professor. It, it just it makes me feel good about myself. Um, but uh, basically just going to give you some, some information on the class. We're not going to read all through it together, but I wanted to point out a few things. First of all, the course objectives. Um, you'll notice there's five objectives that are listed here um, that will be challenged to commit to faithfully serve God. We'll be challenged to grow in courage to share God's word. We'll be challenged to grow in compassion toward others. We'll become familiar with the life of the prophet Jeremiah. And we'll gain a working understanding of the content of the books of Jeremiah and Lamentations. And I trust that all five of these will be accomplished in, in each of your lives through these 12 weeks. But you'll notice that the informational ones are the last two in the list because um, in a lot of ways, I do want this to be like a class. I want it to be informational. I want you to be able to learn a lot each week. Uh, but I want it to be more than that. I want this to be a personal challenge for each one of us. And so more than just giving you information, my, my heart for this is that it would be a challenge to your own walk with the Lord. And, and that through this, you would become more like Jeremiah because you're becoming more like Christ. That's my desire for myself, and that's my desire for you. Uh, next, you might be surprised to find course requirements. Now, before you cut the class, um, obviously there's, there's no, you know, you don't get some sort of college credit for this or anything like that. I just listed these because I think these would be helpful things um, to, to allow you to get the most out of this. Because um, we all understand the more you put into something, the more you get out of it. And so I want to encourage you to put something into this beyond just the time that you spend here. Now, if you choose to audit the course, um, I'm not going to kick you out or anything like that, okay? Don't worry. Um, but there are a few things I want to encourage you to do. One, there's a list of passages of Scripture I'd like to encourage you to read. Um, these will give you an understanding of the historical context of Jeremiah, and then you'll be reading the books that he wrote as well. And I'm going to give you specific reading assignments after each lesson. And if you read those, then you'll get through all of this before we're done with this class. Um, second, compile notes from all 12 lectures in the notebook. I've given you the notebook. I'll give you notes each week. Um, if you want to take your own notes, that'd be wonderful. If you want to bring a device in to take notes on that, um, that you're certainly welcome to do that. Um, but I'd encourage you to jot some of your own notes in the, the notes I provided you or just to bring a notebook with you. But I want to encourage you to keep that all in this notebook. That allows it to be something you can go back to later to aid in your study of God's Word um, and will we'll help, help you keep up with that. And then third, write a 100-word essay on a lesson we can glean from Jeremiah's life or ministry. Now you might say, definitely count me out on that one. I'm not writing anything, all right? Um, but I have to say that for me, the, the way that I get the most out of something, I learn the most from something, the way that I can most internalize something is if I externalize it. So in other words, if I want to learn a lesson, I'm not going to learn it any better than if I am sharing it with somebody else. And that, that's how it works with God's Word. I think that's why the Bible encourages us so much to talk about God's Word with other people, because that makes it more meaningful to us. And so that's why I want to encourage you to do this. Again, if this is something you want to do and never let it see the light of day, that's just fine. If you want to share with me, I'd, I'd love to, um, you know, 
give you a give you an A plus on it to make you feel feel good about yourself, whatever. But I'd encourage you to do that over the course of this class, and that could be one of the subjects we talk about, or it could be something from your own study. Um, but uh, I, I personally have found that that writing things out or trying to share them orally, that that's a really good way of of cementing some of these things in our own heart. Um, and then finally on the back, you'll see a course schedule. That'll give you an idea of where we're going, what we'll be doing each week, um, and specifically some of the passages we'll be talking about. We'll touch on a lot of different passages each week, but uh, that is our syllabus. So let's dive into lesson one. Uh, if you'd open your Bibles to the book of 2 Kings, and we'll touch uh, a lot of different parts of the book of 2 Kings. Um, I'll mention... I mentioned a number of different passages, but this lesson is entitled, uh, In Those Days, we're looking at the world of Jeremiah. Now, it can help with most books of the Bible to understand a bit about the historical context, um, but a lot of places in scripture, honestly, we can have a very full understanding of what's being said without a bit of understanding about the historical context. You read the, mess, the, the lessons or the, uh, the letters of Paul, and it might help you to understand some of that, but the message is in, in the scripture for sure. Uh, the book of Jeremiah, I think uniquely, it helps us to understand the historical context here. Um, there's a lot that's said in the book of Jeremiah about what was going on in the nation of Judah, and it gives us an understanding of Jeremiah himself and the message he was sharing if we know what was going on in Judah and what was going on in the world at that time. Now you might say, this is the last thing that I was looking for tonight. I, I, I didn't really want an ancient history lesson. You know, I, I, I didn't come here because I wanted to talk about Assyria. Um, but bear with me here, and uh, we're going to touch some highlights here, and you'll understand as we look at some of it why it matters, and the more we dig into the book of Jeremiah, I think the more you'll understand that having this foundation is really helpful. One of the reasons is, as you read through Jeremiah, you quickly come to understand that it's not in chronological order. Um, you go through the first about 20 chapters or so, and it appears to be roughly in chronological order, but once you get past that point, different chapters are jumping all over the place. To be honest with you, I don't know why God's Spirit chose to do that. Um, God has a reason, and I don't have to understand his reasons. But it helps me as I'm going through it to realize, okay, he mentions this king, that means we're here in the history. And now he mentions this king, that means we're back here. And so as we go through that, it'll help you to understand some of these things. So let's take a look first at international politics. Um, what was going on in the world that surrounded Judea at this point? Uh, Jeremiah was probably born around the year 650 B.C. And um, you'll notice that's the first date on that timeline that I gave you. Uh, he died sometime after 586 B.C., which is the last date that I gave you on the timeline. So Jeremiah's life lasted beyond the end of that timeline, but we don't have any information about his life past that point. Uh, so roughly, that's kind of what was going on during Jeremiah's life. Um, and we'll consider what was going on in his own nation of Judah in just a few minutes. But there are several things of significance that were going on in the nations that surrounded Judah. Uh, first of all, Israel has fallen. Um, just for a refresher. All right, first three kings of Israel. Saul, David, and Solomon. Under those three kings... Israel was a united kingdom, all right? Not the united kingdom, like, where the McCain's are going to be going, all right? But they were together, okay? So Saul, David, and Solomon all ruled over all of this area, generally. It, it, it grew and shrank and all that. Um, but under Solomon's son, Rehoboam, the nation split in two. Uh, Rehoboam made some foolish decisions that caused the northern we say half, but more than half of the nation to follow Jeroboam. And the southern portion, which began to go by the name Judah, 
It included part of the tribe of Benjamin as well, but it, that, that part of the nation stayed true to Rehoboam. They continued to follow him. And so you end up with the kings, Rehoboam, and the kings that followed. You've got these two nations going on. Uh, the northern kingdom of Israel never had a good king. Uh, none of them were really true to God. Never, none of them really had a heart to follow the Lord. The southern kingdom of Judah, even as we'll see some tonight, they had some good kings, some bad kings. They kind of flip-flopped around a little bit. Well, by the time that Jeremiah comes along, Israel has ceased to be a nation. Um, Jeremiah was born sometime, uh, to put it on a timeline of scripture, sometime within the events of 2 Kings 21. If you go back a few chapters to 2 Kings 17, uh, it tells us about the downfall of Israel. Um, Hoshea was the last king of the nation of Israel. And the Bible tells us that the king of Assyria comes up, he puts the land under tribute. Hoshea decides, I don't want to pay tribute to Assyria anymore. He stops paying the tribute. Shalmaneser, the king of Assyria, returns. Verses 5 and 6 say, Then the king of Assyria came up throughout all the land and went up to Samaria, that's the capital of Israel, and besieged it three years. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away into Assyria and placed them in Hala and in Havor by the river of Gozan and in the cities of the Medes. So this is an ancient relief that depicts the Assyrians bringing another nation into captivity. These might be Jews, these might be another nation. But this is what happened to Israel. Syria comes in and they conquer, they destroy Samaria, and they take everyone into captivity. Israel as a nation has ceased to exist. Uh, the Bible tells us there in 2 Kings 17 how, why this happened. Basically, the nation of Israel had uh, embraced idolatry, they turned their backs on God, they'd embraced sin, and because of all that, God sent prophets to warn them over and over again to repent, and we find that in Scripture, and they didn't listen. And so the Bible says in verse 18, Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah only. So, by the time Jeremiah is born, this northern kingdom is gone. And it's just Judah. Secondly, we find that as, as Jeremiah enters the scene, Assyria is falling. Now, Assyria, as I mentioned, was the nation that took over Israel. But now they're beginning to lose their power as well. Um, they had, in their time, uh, posed a significant threat also to the nation of Judah. And I won't go into that, but under Hezekiah, they came up against Jerusalem and besieged the city. And so they were a, a serious world power. They conquered many of the nations that were around there. But by the time Jeremiah comes on the scene, uh, Assyria is beginning to fade. In fact, in 612 B.C., which if you look at your, at your timeline, you can kind of place where that would be with these other events. In 612, Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, was destroyed by a combined force of several different nations, including Babylon. Uh, and so she had long, Assyria had long held superior power in the Middle East. That's now going away. Assyria is passing off the scene. Um, Egypt is another nation that's mentioned in the book of Jeremiah. And Egypt is fading. Egypt has been one of the major world powers for quite a while at this point, but it's kind of losing its power. But back in 2 Kings 17, when Hoshea was under attack by Assyria, he reached out to the Egyptians for help, but already they were beginning to lose their power, and they didn't feel like they could do anything against Assyria. And that continues on. Um, in 610 B.C., Pharaoh Necho of Egypt, he marches north um, because Babylon's beginning to grow in power. He marches north to attack Babylon, try to defeat them. He meets the Babylonian forces at Carchemish, and the Babylonians win. Pharaoh Necho comes back through Judah into Egypt and kind of hides out down there and hopes that Judah will serve as a buffer between him and Assyria and, and Babylon from then on. So that's where Egypt is at at this point. We'll find that um, towards the end of the events we're talking about here, uh, some of the Jews actually go down into Egypt to escape from the Babylonians. And Jeremiah is going to be a part of that, and we'll, we'll talk about that later in the study. Um, 
Next, we see that Babylon is rising. Babylon is really one of the biggest nations that we talk about here, obviously, because they're the conquerors of Judah. Uh, Babylon's rising in power, especially under King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Babylon is quickly rising to the forefront of Middle Eastern war and politics. And so uh, they're overshadowing Assyria, and as Judah's conqueror, we'll, we'll see quite a bit about Babylon in Jeremiah's prophecy. And then finally, Persia is coming. Persia doesn't figure as much in what's going on here, but in a few years, they're going to become much more prominent. Uh, Persia is rising to power. Medo-Persia is rising to power alongside their neighbor Babylon. And um, after the events of Jeremiah's life, they grow even more in power and end up, as the book of Daniel talks about, um, under Belshazzar, remember the handwriting on the wall, Medo-Persia takes over Babylon, and they become the new world power. So all of these things are going on at this point. These are all major things that are going on in the geography around Judah. And this, is not, this doesn't even mention many of the smaller nations that are, that are going to be a part of this. Um, I've given you a really simple map here, just to give you kind of an idea of what's going on. So you've got Judah here. Israel was right north of Judah. But you have Assyria up here, which has long been the major world power. You've got Babylon rising in the east, and then further east than that, you've got Medo-Persia, and then you've got Egypt down here. So these are all big nations with a lot of power, and there's a lot of change going on right now. So there are wars being fought. Uh, each of these nations is trying to outdo the other and trying to gain control of this area of the world. And who's stuck right in the middle? Judah. And so... As these wars are happening, this tiny little kingdom of Judah is going to suffer quite a bit from that. And we find that happening throughout their history. And it's interesting because you see how God uses all of these events to bring judgment or to bring blessing on his people. Uh, but that's all what's going on around Judah at this point. So what's going on within the kingdom of Judah? Well, let's take a look at the rulers of Judah during this time. And... This is really key, especially with several of these, to understand who these are and the order in which they reigned. Because like I mentioned, as we read through Jeremiah, he'll talk about these different kings. And when we understand the order of the kings, that allows us to say, okay, he's prophesying during this time. Here he's prophesying during this time. Uh, so we'll start with Manasseh. Um, Manasseh was likely the king on the throne when Jeremiah was born. And um, I'm going to go really quickly through these, but I've given you the passages. And I'd encourage you, if you do the reading for this week, you will do this, but I'd encourage you to read back through some of this um, because you're going to be like, okay, I forget which J king that was that you were talking about, okay? Um, but I encourage you to read back through these passages. But Manasseh, he takes the throne of Judah at the age of 12, when his father, the godly king Hezekiah, died at the age of 54. And most of us have probably heard the name of Hezekiah, very godly king of Israel. He did a lot to, to point the nation towards God. Well, unfortunately, Manasseh undid all the good his father had done during his reign. Uh, Manasseh was on the throne for 55 years. And those years were filled with idolatry, with violence, and with wickedness. Uh, in 2 Kings 21, verses 11 through 12, the Bible says, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, hath done these abominations, this is God making, he, he's, he's speaking to his people. He says, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, hath done these abominations, and hath done wickedly above all that the Amorites did, which were before him, and hath made Judah also to sin with his idols, therefore thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such evil upon Jerusalem and Judah, that whosoever heareth of it, both his ears shall tingle. He says, Because of all this sin of Manasseh, I am bringing great judgment on the land of Judah. And actually, Jeremiah himself references Manasseh. In Jeremiah 15, verse 4, he speaks for God and says, and I will cause them, that is the people of Judah, to be removed into all kingdoms of the earth because of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, for that which he did in Jerusalem. 
So it was the abominable sin of this wicked king that caused God to finally decree that his wrath would, was going to fall on Judah just like it had on Israel. This was, you could say, the straw that broke the camel's back. Manasseh's reign, just filled with so much wickedness, God said, there is no coming back from this. Judah is going into judgment. It doesn't matter what happens from now on, my judgment is going to fall on this nation. And we find that to be true. And it was during that reign that we believe Jeremiah was born. Following Manasseh was King Amon. Um, he was Manasseh's son. He had a very short uh, reign, only two years. But in those two years, he followed in his father's wicked footsteps. He, and he ended up dying at the hands of assassins. Um, his killers were caught, and his eight-year-old son, Josiah, was given the crown. Josiah, you probably heard his name, if only because he was the king that started reigning when he was eight years old, uh, which makes him you know, a favorite for us to talk to kids about. Uh, but he started reigning at eight years old, and his reign was a breath of fresh air after his father and his grandfather. Uh, early in his reign, he began to seek after God. Uh, Twelve years into his reign, he began reforms in the land. And the following year is when Jeremiah began his prophetic ministry. And so Jeremiah was born under Manasseh, but he started to prophesy under the reign of Josiah, uh, which we'll see how that shaped his message as he began. Uh, but just a few years after that, an exciting event occurred when Hilkiah, who was then serving as the high priest, discovered a copy of God's word in the temple. And Josiah took that very seriously. He immediately began work to bring the nation in line with what God said. And so he did all that he could to say, we're going to follow God's word. And it's really amazing to read about. I mean, he's, he's going around, he's tearing idols down, he's destroying groves, he's killing people who are, who are leading the worship of Baal. I mean, he's going to town on the nation of Judah, trying to bring things into line with what God's word says. And he uh, has the nation hold a pa the Passover feast, which hasn't happened in years and years and years. And the Bible says that that celebration surpassed any that had been held under any other king of Israel or Judah. And so Josiah is serious about this. He says, man, we have been neglecting God's word. We've been ignoring what it says, but not anymore. We're going to follow what God says, and we're going to do, do it the best we possibly can. And so that's Josiah. The, the Bible says this about Josiah in 2 Kings 23, 25. And like unto him was there no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart, and with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, neither after him arose there any like him. That's saying a lot. Josiah, who had a wicked father and a wicked grandfather, he comes, to, he comes face to face with God's word, and he surrenders himself to that. And he follows after God wholeheartedly in a way that this would seem to suggest goes beyond any other king. I mean, think Hezekiah, and think David. And Josiah, in some ways at least, surpasses them in his complete commitment to following what God has to say. Tragically, Josiah ended up making a foolish decision, and... He died at the hands of the army of Necho, the Egyptian pharaoh, who I talked about him going through Judah to attack the Babylonians. Well, on his way through Judah, Josiah decided, I'm going to fight this guy. And Necho said, this isn't your battle, this isn't your war, stay out of it. Josiah said, nope, I'm going to do it. He went to battle, he died in battle. And from that point on, everything went quickly downhill in the nation of Judah. After Josiah, you have King Jehoahaz. He was Josiah's son. He ascended the throne at his father's death, and he managed to stay on the throne for a whopping three months. Uh, at that point, Pharaoh Necho is passing back through Judah, and he takes Jehoahaz into captivity. He leaves Jehoahaz's brother on the throne, and he begins to exact tribute from Judah. So, 
there's technically someone on the throne at this point, but now they're under tribute to the nation of Egypt. And so that's the, the situation when Jehoiakim comes to the throne. He's the one that, that Pharaoh Necho put on the throne. Um, and here's where the names get even more confusing. Because, unfortunately, these guys don't just have one name. Okay? Jehoiakim was actually named by his parents Eliakim. For some reason, Pharaoh Necho decided, I'm going to rename him Jehoiakim. And so in scripture, we'll find him as Eliakim, we'll find him as Jehoiakim, and it's the same guy. All right, so you've got Jehoiakim on the, on the throne. He reigns for 11 years. He begins under tribute to Egypt, but a few years into his reign, the power dynamic is shifting away from Egypt um, and towards Babylon. And so not long after, Babylon comes, uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes, and he puts the land under tribute to Babylon. So, first of all, they've been paying tribute to Egypt. That ends at some point, and they turn around and start giving tribute to Babylon. Well, you can imagine if you're the king, uh, you're not crazy about this idea. And after three years of that, Jehoiakim decides, I've had enough. He rebels against Nebuchadnezzar. Um, Nebuchadnezzar comes back uh, and quickly quashes the rebellion. Jehoiakim's killed and his son is put in his place. So his son, um, another one of those guys with several names, all right, we're going to call him Jeconiah. I've, I've chosen the names that we find most, most often in the book of Jeremiah, okay? But you will find even multiple names for some of these guys within the book of Jeremiah. But Jeconiah comes to the throne. Um, we find him referred to as Jehoiachin and also just as Kaniah. It's all the same guy. Um, but he, like his uncle Jehoahaz, only reigns for three months. And after that point, Nebuchadnezzar comes back. He puts the city under siege. Jeconiah surrenders and spends the rest of his life in captivity in Babylon. And then finally, you have Zedekiah. Uh, he's born Mataniah. And Nebuchadnezzar decides, just for fun, to change his name to Zedekiah. And, um, and that's what he goes by. That's what we'll, we'll find him quite a bit in the book of, of Jeremiah. Much of Jeremiah's prophetic ministry happened during his, his reign. Uh, he was the last one that we could even consider to be a king of Judah. And he reigned for 11 years. Um, for about 10, almost 10 of those years, he's paying tribute to Babylon. And then he decides, look, I've had enough of this. I don't want to do this. We need to be independent. He rebels. Nebuchadnezzar comes, puts the city under siege. It's happened before, it's happening again. And they're under siege for about a year and a half. And finally, they're, they, they can't do it anymore. They're out of food, uh, they can't stand it, and so they have to surrender. And Zedekiah is captured. Um, tragically, he has to watch his sons be killed, and then he's blinded, put in chains, and taken to Babylon. Um, and... Uh, I've given you an artist's rendition. Here you've got the people of Israel going into Babylon. This point is the biggest exodus from Jerusalem. The city's destroyed, uh, the temple is destroyed, and most all of the people that live there are taken back to Babylon. There's been a few groups that have been taken back before this, but this is the big one. And really, at this point, the nation of Judah ceases to be a nation. Um, so that's really quickly what's going on here. I want to I just very quickly work through our timeline um, just once again to help you understand how these things are all, are all um, interplaying. So we start at 650 B.C. That's around when, Jer uh, when Jeremiah was born. Um, in 642, this is Amon. His reign begins, of course, before him. Manasseh's been ruling. He reigns for two years, and then Josiah becomes king. Um, after 13 years of Josiah as king, Jeremiah begins his ministry. And then just a few years later, six years later, is when they discover God's law in the temple. And that's when the really big changes happen in Judah as Josiah is leading them towards the Lord. Um, in 609 is when Josiah dies. That's the three months when Jehoahaz reigns. And then Jehoiakim becomes the king. Uh, after 11 years... Um, 
is when then Jeconiah takes the, takes the throne. He reigns for three months. And then Zedekiah's reign begins in 597 B.C. and lasts until 586 when Jerusalem falls. So this is very simple, but hopefully this will help you as we're trying to place. I, I encourage you to just hold on to that as we go through this study. Um, because as we're talking about different prophecies, that will allow you to kind of stick that in there and know what chronologically is happening. Um, but you might say, that was a lot of historical facts. That was a lot of in, just like information about what was going on. And I understand that. And I, I hope that it wasn't too, too draining to go through that. But it really is important for us to have kind of this framework in mind, to have some of this foundation. Um, because as Jeremiah steps on the throne, as we see, there's a lot going on. Um, if anything, what all this tells us is that Jeremiah lived in a time of turmoil. Uh, power dynamics were shifting in the arena of international politics. It seemed like everything was ready to devolve into complete chaos at any moment. I mean, Judah was right there, and they never knew. You know, is Assyria going to come and attack us? Is Babylon going to come and attack us? Is Egypt going to come and attack, to, attack us? Are they our friends? Are they our foes? You know, how is our relationship with the powers that be? And over and over again, you see the prophets talking to them and saying, don't worry about Egypt, don't worry about Assyria. Hosea shares this message. He says, don't put your trust in Assyria, don't put your trust in Egypt. God is the one where the power comes from. But they continue to struggle with that because they're watching what's going on in the world and they say this is so unsure. We just don't know where to find that solid foundation. And that's what's going on in the world that surrounds them. And I haven't even mentioned, you've also got Syria right to the north. You've got Moab. You've got Edom. They're entering in on this picture as well. And so, and they're just right around Judah as well. And so there's, there's a lot that's going on in the world, and it really makes it hard for people to feel safe, to feel like they're sure of what's coming. They really don't know what the future's holding. It also tells us that inside Jeremiah's own country, the society seemed to be pulling itself apart. You do have the good reign of Josiah, but even that only does so much to stop what's happening uh, with just the wicked hearts of the people as they continue to follow after their sin, as they continue to engage in idolatry. I think that, unfortunately, and as we read Jeremiah's prophecy, we, we find this, that the, nation of Man the, the reign of Manasseh lined up with where the people's hearts were a lot more than the reign of Josiah did. Josiah was a great king, but in many ways I think that he was pushing against the tide where the people didn't want righteousness. They didn't want God's word. They didn't want to be faithful to the Lord. They wanted the idolatry. They wanted the sin. They wanted the violence that was under Manasseh. That was what their hearts desired. And we see that even as Jeremiah begins to preach underneath the reign of this righteous king. And so that's what's going on in Judah, that the sinfulness and idolatry are rampant. Innocent blood is being shed in abundance. Uh, the people seem to be running away with all their might away from God. Does any of that sound familiar? You think about international politics. How often do we look at what's going on in the world and we think, who knows what's going to happen next? I have no idea what the future holds. All of these world powers, and they're all kind of flexing. You know, who's going to act and how are they going to act? And I'm not saying all of that to discourage us tonight. But I think that we find that on the international scene, in many ways, our day mirrors Jeremiah's. I don't think to quite the extent that, that he faced, where they've got armies marching through their land. But also, just within the nation, I think we find many of the same marks today. Um, and I don't think that it's primarily a matter of leadership. 
I think that the hearts of the people of our nation desire sin, desire idolatry. We're surrounded by people who are running away from God with all their might. And so as we think about the context that Jeremiah found himself in, I think that there are a lot of parallels to the context we find ourselves in. And many times we can think, well, you know, somebody's times do not define them. In many ways that's true. But we have to be honest about the times in which we live. Jeremiah had to come to grips with the fact that this is the world I'm living in. And this is the message that God has to the world I'm living in. And I think we need to come to grips with the same for ourselves. Say, this is the world I'm living in. This is what's going on internationally. This is what's going on in my own nation. Neither one of those things is a reason to lose hope. None of the, neither of those things is a reason to just throw up my hands and say, there's nothing I can do, just let it happen. But it informs us as we seek to be faithful servants of God, just like Jeremiah. And so I hope that all of these things, it's not just information, and I hope that it won't discourage you. I hope it will excite you as we look forward to diving into the life of an incredible servant of God. And say, Jeremiah found himself in, himself in times that were more challenging than anything that I face in my day. And yet he was able to faithfully serve God. He was able to boldly declare the word of God. He stayed faithful for all of these years to the Lord. And he left an incredible legacy. How can I learn from his life to do the same with my life? So I want to give you an opportunity. I know all of the Bible Institute teachers ever always say, that they want to leave time at the end for any questions or comments. And guess what I've done? I left time for questions and comments. All right. Got a few more things I want to mention, but did want to give you an opportunity. If you've got a question or you've got something you'd like to share, this is your opportunity. I always found it amazing that the story about Josiah and his term, they found the book of the law, like, they didn't even realize, at least the way it sounds like it's written, they didn't realize they weren't following God's law. Or you know, one thing to be backslidden and go, I'm not reading it, you know. But it's almost like a gem, like a hidden treasure. They go, what is this? Yeah. That's the impression I get. So it's just amazing that so many years go by where the Bible was just, God's law was just so utterly neglected to the point where leaders didn't even recognize it. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting because if you go back to the book of Deuteronomy, um, every king, every ruler of, of Israel was instructed to copy down the entire book of Deuteronomy for themselves. And uh, I, I think it's very instructive to think about that. Um, each of these kings, he's, he's got to personally take pen to paper, or, you know, I don't know, a chisel to a rock or whatever he's doing. <laughs> And he's taking down the words of this law. But obviously they've gotten away from that. And they found it in, in the temple. And so there's different people that conjecture what went on there. Um, but it, it tells us a couple of things. One, somebody probably tried to hide it away, get it out of the way. It was probably Manasseh or someone during his reign. And they said, book of the law, let's get that, th that thing out of here. Um, and the other thing is, the temple had really fallen into disrepair. And that's actually why they found it. Because Josiah realized enough to say, this is the temple of God, and it's not up, up to par. This is not good. It's fallen into disrepair in some ways. And he starts to put things into place to say, we're going to start giving money towards this. We're going to start doing the improvements we need to do to get the temple back to where it needs to be. And then Hilkiah comes to him and he says, Hey, king, I found something. I think you want to see this. And so it, it is a fascinating story. But then to just see Jer Josiah's response to it. They begin to read it, and he, he rends his clothes, and he says, What are we doing? We are breaking God's law in so many ways. 
And he takes it so seriously. And he says, not anymore. And within his first, the first year after that happens, he's just doing stuff all over the nation. So it is an incredible, incredible story, incredible testimony about how seriously he took that. Anything else? You know, also with Josiah, and I can't remember specifically what it was. Now I feel a challenge to look it up, but um, there were things that Josiah began doing that, as it's recorded in in the Chronicles and such, had not been kept. I mean, and you think, okay, well, surely David did it. David wasn't doing it. Uh, I can't remember if it was Jubilee or specifically some of the particular feasts or some of the particular sacrifices. And he just went all the way in. And, uh, you know, it's a challenge for us to look and say, well, yeah, we say we practice. You know, we say we follow what what God's Word says. But, you know, you, you give it a really hard look and get evangelist or you know you get somebody comes in and preaches you know preaches the house down and steps all over your feet whatever you look you're like I guess it really wasn't after all um, it's good to be pushed challenged that way well and sometimes I think we can take other people's standards and say that's going to be my standard and we say as long as I'm following God like this as long as I'm going to this point Instead of what Josiah did, he said, we're going to lay this out and say, here's what God's word says, and I don't care what my father did, what my grandfather did, what my great-grandfather Hezekiah did, I'm going to do what God's word says. And in many ways, he surpassed even the righteous king Hezekiah because he was that fully committed to God's word. And I do think there's a a big lesson for us in that, um, that we take our cues from God's word, not just from, we can learn a lot from other people for sure, but... Don't let their walk with God determine what my walk with God is going to be. Just really quickly, I'll mention, um, you'll notice at the end of your notes there, um, I've given you some, the the Bible reading I'd encourage you to do this week. Um, It's seven chapters, so a chapter a day, you've got it, all right? I know you've probably got your own Bible reading plan of some other kind. But, uh, but a chapter a day is, is not, not all that much. And so I'd encourage you to do that. That will go over. It'll refresh you on some of the things we've talked about. And as you look at Second Kings and Second Chronicles side by side, um, many of the things will be the same information, but they'll also complement each other. In some cases, Second Kings will say things, Second Chronicles doesn't, and vice versa. And so it'll give you uh, just a, a good overview of this time in, in Judah's history. And then I, I listed at the end there some sources, um, the sources that I consulted for this, uh, for this lesson. And so if, if you want to dig in and say, man, I, I just want to do some more study on this, these would be some sources I would recommend. Um, and my plan is, by the time we get to the end of this, to have a book list for you and to, and to give you some notes on each book. And so if you decide, I, I want to dig deeper into the book of Jeremiah in this way or whatever, um, I'll have some recommendations for you that way. So you're going to be giving these pages out each week? Yes, I'll have notes like that for you each week. So bring your notebook back, um, and, uh, and I'll, I'll give you notes for each lesson. All right, anything else before we're dismissed? <clears throat> They're letting out early over there. All right. So next week we are going to uh, pick up with, we'll actually talk about Jeremiah. (laughs) We're going to take a look at Jeremiah chapter 1 as we see Jeremiah's call. um, As God comes to Jeremiah, in in many ways a familiar passage, but uh, it'll, it'll help us to understand some more things about Jeremiah himself, where he came from. Um, what his background was, but also who he was as a person, uh, his, you know, his personality. What, what, what were the things that perhaps recommended him to to be a prophet? What are some of the things we might find uh, surprising that God would choose him to be a prophet? And uh, potentially, we'll take some time as well to consider 
some of the others who were serving the Lord as prophets at this time. I don't know if we'll talk about that next week or the week after, um, but that's interesting as well to, to see those who were serving alongside Jeremiah and those that uh, he probably knew or, um, or maybe even was, was ministering alongside with as they were faithfully serving the Lord as well. All right. Well, let's have a word of prayer and you'll be dismissed. Our Father, we thank you for your word, and it is amazing um, how much information is there. Uh, There's so much more that we could have said than we did about uh, what was going on in in Judah and um, uh, all these different kings. Every one of them has so many lessons to teach us, so many warnings to give us. But Lord, thank you that in the midst of all this turmoil and the mess that was going on in Judah, uh, that Jeremiah began and continued in a faithful ministry to you. Thank you that he did boldly proclaim your word. And he did it during the reign of Josiah, but he also did it during the reign of the kings that followed, who did not follow you and didn't care about what your word said. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to uh, think about (coughs) the time in which you have put us. And we understand that our times are in your hands, and you have a reason for, for putting us here and having us here in America in 2022. Uh, and I pray that you would help us to be willing to consider what that might mean, uh, how it is that you want us to boldly proclaim your word within the context you placed us, and help us to be challenged, to be faithful. And, and not give in to the hopelessness that we might be tempted to because of uh, the international or national situation that we find ourselves in. But Lord, may we follow you with all our hearts. And give us wisdom. Help us as we continue to look at the life of Jeremiah uh, to understand what your word says and uh, that you would help us to grow as a result. Thank you for each one who's here tonight and their desire to learn your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.